Okay, Rivka. Thank you so much for taking the time today to chat. I'm so excited to do this with you. Um, and really, this is all prompted um, by a desire in me to know more about midwifery and birth attending and how it works and what the history is in the province of Quebec. And uh, you have been doing this for how long now? So basically since I, since the relevant period is since I moved to Montreal. So I moved to Montreal in 1980, 1998, and I started attending births as a doula uh, back then. So Amazing. basically I've been in the birth world in Montreal for however many years that is. It seems like a long time. <laughs> <laughs> um, can you give me some history of what your work has looked like over the years? In 1990, okay, so in 1986, I had my second child. It was a very difficult birth in a foreign country where I didn't speak the language. And right after his birth, I decided I was going to study midwifery. So I joined um, what was back then called Apprentice Academics, Kyla Hartley's, um, um, oh, what is it called now? I don't even remember what it's called now. Ancient arts, something or other. Anyway, so I started that. I was living in the middle of nowhere in Italy, and I did a distance program, which meant sending stuff away and receiving stuff in the mail and whatever. So I started studying midwifery, midwifery back then, and I, I read everything, and I studied, and I had, as as anyone with babies knows, you know, I, I would put the babies to bed and then get out my books and my notebooks and... Then in 1998, we moved back to Canada. We moved to Montreal and I started working as a doula. I did a donor workshop and I started working as a doula here. Um, and because of the way that I started to work and the things that I understood and my political approach to everything has always been, uh, I'm kind of like a, I don't know, I guess like a, I don't know. I was just born a feminist. I don't see any reason why not to be a feminist. And then I'm a little bit of an anarchist and also a herbalist. So that makes me a witch. So I basically was coming from that place and I was watching women just get literally raped and abused in front of me in the hospital day after day after day after day. And then I thought I would do midwifery training. So I went um, through the certified professional midwife program. Um, in the U.S. and became a midwife. It was a wonderful experience, very long. Um, most of the things I've done in my life have taken a long time, and but I've been quite tenacious, so I always get them. Um, it was long, and it involved going to different countries and doing different precept, uh, doing different um, internships with different preceptors and. And then I started doing home births in Montreal um, for a few years, and then I stopped that. And yeah, that's basically it. Then at the beginning of the pandemic, I got a whole bunch of women calling me saying they didn't want to go 
to the hospital and they didn't want the certified midwives coming to them and would, would I attend their birth? So things mm -hmm. kind of progressed from there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I saw that demand as well, for sure. Women wanted a choice. Heaven forbid they have one. Yeah. Um, let's go back to the piece where you use the word rape. Talk about that. Well, it's very difficult to talk about because it's so ingrained in in the birth culture. Um, <clears throat> the moment that I stopped being a doula was a moment when I was in the hospital and I was so that and as I tell you the story, you'll you'll see the different levels of of just horribleness in the story. So I was in the hospital um, with a with a woman laboring, and um, the doctor came in, a young I think he might have been a resident I can't remember, but a young male doctor came in, and he was doing the whole friendly wendly thing, like we're all friends here and. I'm just like a midwife because I'm going to sit on the bed and we're all comfy, wumpy and best friends. So he sits on the bed and his left hand. So he's like, I'm going to just do a little exam. And he does a little vaginal exam, which by the way, vaginal exams are rude. They're not little. Like I don't like having people put things in my vagina. I don't care who it is. Like unless I ask them for it, I just don't like it. And I don't think you do. And I know that most of the people I know don't like it. Well, it's so, actually absurd that we can very clearly as a culture recognize unless you want someone to put something inside your vagina, it's not okay. And that's just something that I think everyone can accept and know. And yet, somehow, we've managed to get to a place where that rule is out the window if it's in the context of birth. It's, it's quite shocking to me the more I've sat with it. Oh, it's, 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 it's very shocking. But then if we turn our emotions down, which I know it's hard to do, and look at it through, a, through the lens of, of politics, then we can see that it's absolutely necessary for the modern uh, kind of for society to function. Because if, if there wasn't that kind of really deep uh, oppression at the most basic level, that is the level where a new human's coming into the world, then, then there would be so much power going around that it wouldn't be controllable. So that's the way that the control starts with the fingers in the vagina when the baby's being born. So, so he had her, his fingers in and he actually had asked permission to do that vaginal exam. Even though I have to say, vaginal exams are one of the biggest just wastes of time in the birth world. The, I mean, probably a bigger waste of time than anything else. Because unless there's a real reason to do one, which is very rare, there's no point in doing it. I have a whole theory about vaginal exams, by the way. Maybe we'll do them in the next episode or something. Oh, I'd love to get into that. <laughs> I have been thinking about it and pondering on it and meditating on this weird phenomenon. And yeah, I have a lot to say about vaginal exams. Anyway, the guy's hands are in there and he's fiddling around. 
and I see his left hand randomly reaching for the drawer where I know, but the woman doesn't know, the amnio, um, the amniotomy hooks are kept. What is so that? He's, those little crochet hooks that they break your waters with. Oh, mine looked like a skewer. It looks like a skewer. Okay. But anyone who's ever done crochet, also it looks like a crochet hook, but okay. a long one. Because it has a little hook on the end so that you can hook Oof. the membrane open. So he's reaching for the drawer, opens the drawer, gets out a thing, gets out an, amnio uh, an, an amniotomy hook, and surreptitiously, surreptitiously starts like opening it with one hand. I can tell he's practiced at this. And I grabbed his arm. And I said, what do you think you're doing? Wow. And he said, I'm, I'm going to break a waters. I said, no, you're not. You didn't even ask permission. Go Rivka. So, yeah. <laughs> That's amazing. So he put the thing back in the drawer, got his hand out and left the room. Mad, I bet. Throwing a tantrum. Oh, he was furious. He was furious. But you know what? That woman didn't have a didn't have an unwanted artificial rupture of the membrane. So good on her. Like the, I was there to protect her, and I did. But I realized I was so angry I could have punched him, and like that is not a good emotion to bring into the birthing room. No, it's it's actually like totally the opposite of what any woman would want, right? Exactly. Like I don't think any of us envision bringing our children into the world in a in a battlefield. Exactly. But, so I realized that I needed to um, to to withdraw, but the the question was rape, and I I would say that that like we can quantify rape. Was it a little rape, just having a crochet hook put in there when you didn't say yes? Is it a big rape when you know there are all sorts of people putting things in when you didn't say yes? I don't even know, mm. but that's that that to me is whenever someone puts something in a woman's body and she hasn't said yes, then, I mean, and of course there are always these little things like, oh, well, if she'd just been hit by a car and she's unconscious and you're putting an IV in, yeah, okay, whatever. Yeah, when that's, I mean, that's not what we're talking about here. Exactly. So when she's conscious and she's having a baby and her vagina is right there, you know, having a baby coming out of it sooner or later, then... If you want to put something in there, then you gotta ask her permission. And if you don't, then it's as close to rape as what as I know, mm -hmm. and especially close as I've seen in birthing rooms when the woman is saying no, 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 it hurts. Yes, and it starts before the birth, and it starts with midwives too. Right, thirty-eight weeks, thirty-nine weeks, forty weeks. Oh well, we could strip your membranes. And what is that? That's let me put my fingers inside you, inside your cervix, and move them around. It's, you know, it's even before the birth, so you're, you're prepped much earlier. I mean, I don't even know what's worth, so worse. So the, the thing, the strip, the membranes, language is so important. I'm a writer, and I, and I, and I grew up writing poetry and I think language is really important. So strip is not a nice word in my vocabulary. It's just not. What do you strip? You, I mean, all sorts of things get stripped and it's just not a nice word. So then there's this doctor that I know that says, I'm going to tickle your membrane. That's even worse. Mm -hmm. Don't tell me you're going to tickle my, 
my membrane to then go in there and like fiddle around and you know break the the, the one membrane from the other um to try and get me into labor like the activity is one thing the language about it is another and and it's all it's all against mm, i would say mm, i i don't know powerful womanhood let's let's put it that way yeah yeah okay good so we're establishing basically here that the system in place and what is currently offered to women and and so the sort of conveyor belt we hop onto when we're when we're pregnant and going to give birth is is doing really sketchy things so whether the like a lot of women have no idea right nobody knows and everybody heard about the stretch and sweep or whatever it is and it's all normalized so first and then stretch and sweep it sounds like either a pilates move or a fucking housework (laughs) move i mean honestly where do they get these terms from well it's really pleasant language in a way oh it's just a little stretch and sweep yeah and suddenly your belly slimmer or something it's 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 a weird i i don't think i've even really registered that term it's hilarious okay anyway let's get to the so, point so yeah so we know that now what a, what so what women have this choice which really isn't a choice hey you want to have a baby here go see your doctor right that's what everyone's supposed to do and then you're into the system and this is what's waiting for you what if you don't want that what if you want something else what are your options so i think the sadder thing is actually i don't want a doctor i'm going to get a midwife and i go to the birthing center and i get a midwife and then i discover at 40 weeks that oops i don't have a midwife anymore so that's not i mean that is an option up to a certain point to unpack that what happens at the 40 weeks or 38 well, or 42 with, or whatever exactly yeah midwives legally are not allowed to um follow women in quebec um after 42 weeks of pregnancy they're absolutely not allowed to it doesn't matter how healthy everyone is so at 40 weeks a lot of midwives but because they're you know, this is their legal, this is the, the, the thing that they're functioning under. A lot of midwives try and um, figure out, you know, ways to stimulate labor or suggest ways to stimulate labor before that 42 weeks because they really do want to attend the woman and it's illegal for them to do it after 42 weeks. So they won't actually do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the woman doesn't really know what's going to happen and so if she is one of those women that keeps her babies in longer then then especially if it's her first baby then she it 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 comes as a real shock to her that she's suddenly kind of pushed into doctor care where she didn't want it and because she's pushed out of midwifery care she's already high risk in the doctor's eyes so things can escalate very quickly to the kind of care that she really didn't want in the beginning when she got into the midwifery care. And interestingly, in my experience and in the the women I've already spoken to, this discussion doesn't actually happen when you're going to your prenatal appointments because I imagine they don't want to get there before they get there. 
And yet it's a bit of a disservice to the woman who suddenly at the very end of her pregnancy is hit with, well, if X, Y, and Z happens, you risk out of our care. Okay. So this is a really important um, point that I was thinking about this morning. And um, I know it's premature to talk about it, but I'm going to plant one of those seeds that you were talking about. And the seed is this. I agree completely with you that that it's often uh, a big surprise. Um, and I believe that whatever care or accompaniment or support or guidance or whatever it is, a birthing woman is getting from whoever, then a discussion has to take place about what if. So I don't actually believe that as a, as a birth attendant, I've never been the type of birth attendant that has said, um, you know, trust birth 100%. Oh, nature's gentle. Because I don't believe that. Yeah. What, I, what I do like to do is, um, and I was thinking about the, one of my favorite uh, experiences recently was with some clients who, um, they were free divers, both of them. And free diving is considered to be one of the most dangerous sports because basically you are diving without a tank and you go really, really deep. Um, and interestingly, um, the woman was saying when you're down really deep and your body is craving oxygen, you have these rhythmical kind of um, abdominal things that are quite a bit like contractions and painful. So what they have before every free dive is they have what they call a problem-solving session where they go through, if this happens, then what? If that happens, then what? So they know if something is going a little bit sideways, what the next step is. And I really like to do that before a birth. So it's difficult. It's so difficult because if you have like, the registered midwife, when you when she signs on with you at whatever, 16 weeks, and she says, okay, you're going to be risked out if this happens, that happens, the other happens, you get to 41 or 41.5 or whatever weeks, this and that and the other. And then so the woman has a big picture of what might or might not happen if things unfold in a certain way. Mm-hmm. But I think it's a little unfair not to want to to provide that same kind of support if um, if you're working in an alternative way. Uh, you mean like having a scope of practice? Not even, yes, if you want to put it that way, although I've never really used such a formal description. Um, and I'll tell you why, Rosemary, because I, I love both to be led by the by the woman so for example if i had what i wanted to call a problem solving session i would want because i'm not going to talk about the the risk of hemorrhage with someone who's not concerned about hemorrhage yeah like i don't my 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 duty isn't to scare people yeah so i would want that person to present what like what do you think will happen if I get to 42 weeks? You know, what do you think will happen if I start to bleed a lot a half an hour after I've had my baby? 
oh, I've heard that the cord around the neck is really dangerous. Like all of these things that they might be worried about, we can talk through and make decisions about. Yeah, but that's happening in the context of you're not abandoning this woman, no matter what happens to her, right? Like I like, I love the idea of um, walking with a woman during her pregnancy and saying to her, whatever comes up for you, let's talk about it. Uh, because I'm going to be with you through it all. And so you never abandon her and she gets to bring up her fears and she doesn't have to be fear mongered about all the what ifs of, of all the potential births in all the women of all the world. However, when you look at it from the regulated midwife perspective, they have the scope of practice that they're legally bound to. And so if they don't inform the woman what their, their parameters or their boundaries are, um, it feels a little insidious. And I know on the one hand, I want to say, oh, well, they don't want to fear monger the woman. And I totally get that. But also, perhaps we could approach it and they could approach it in a way that just says, hey, um, this is our scope of practice here. It's all written on this piece of paper. Or I don't know, something like that. I just feel like yeah. there could be a way to have the discussion so people aren't blindsided at the end of pregnancy during the most tender time. For sure. Absolutely. Although I do have to say that a lot of times people don't actually hear what you say if you just say, hey, this is the scope of practice. Mm. Um, and I think it is a, that word insidious is, is really useful because I think what is happening is we're all bound up in this thing. So, um, I mean, the midwives, the registered midwives that I know personally, they're, they're lovely women who have the same urge to attend birth as, 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 as you or I do. Mm -hmm. And they don't mean any harm to women, but they feel trapped by the government regulations that they work under. Mm -hmm. And they like, um, just for example, a few years ago, they lost a baby at one of the birthing centers. And, and, and literally one of the younger midwives was, I think, put up as a, as a, as a scapegoat, you know, she had to do some kind of punishment or something. So it's, it's really a bit of a kangaroo court if you do do something wrong. So there's that, there's that um, culture of fear in, in that community that, uh, that's scary. You know, you have a job, you have a family, you have, you know, your registration as a midwife or whatever. And you're not the kind of, you know, person that would run around doing illegal things. Yeah. And yeah. that's fine to not be one of those people that runs around doing illegal things, but then you're going to enter into moral quandaries of, of actually mistreating women. Yes, and disrupting them, <laughs> disrupting their process. Yeah. So let then let's talk about birth outside of the system or attending birth outside of the system or walking with women during their choice to opt out of the system. Uh, what are the parameters there? What can it look like? And, and let's talk about it in the context of Quebec specifically, because that's where we are. I've been looking really carefully at the laws of midwifery in Quebec 
and I realized that they're actually quite simple and narrow. Um, the things that we're not allowed to do in the context of a birthing mother. And they're very specifically, um, let's say, classic midwifery um, procedures. So you're not allowed to palpate. You're not allowed to uh, listen to the baby's heartbeat. You're not allowed to do medical tests of the mother like blood pressure. You're not allowed to send her for blood tests. You're not allowed to check the urine. You're not allowed to do vaginal exams. You're not allowed to cut the cord and you're not allowed to resuscitate the baby. There might be a couple of others, but those are the main classic midwifery skills that you learn when you're training to be a midwife. So what's left? Well, there's a whole bunch left. Um, there's so much left that I, that I, that I pushed for for years to have midwifery training, um, to have a prerequisite for midwifery training be that a woman attends a hundred births as a doula because a doula has to sit on her hands and accompany the woman and support the woman in birth um, without doing anything to her. So that's what's left. It's about 99% of midwifery care, which is left, which is more important than any of those medical skills. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing, and here's the great paradox, and here's the wonderful way that, that we've been trapped um, in our modern society to, to actually break a, a code that's, that's so ancient to us. It's the ancient code of midwifery. And so... Let's say, let's say in 3% of births, something can go a little bit sideways physically. I'm not talking about a mom who takes, you know, two days to, to, to finally, you know, get into active labor or, you know, six weeks to have very, very gentle labor contractions until finally she births or someone who takes a really long time to birth their placenta. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about something that actually goes sideways. 3%, let's say. In traditional midwifery, even hundreds or thousands of years ago, the midwife was the person who had seen enough births, who practiced science, because science is observation and recording. So she practiced science and, and observation and recording well enough to know that in certain situations, she might have to intervene. You're saying the number of situations is around 3%? That is, Rosemary, don't ask anyone else because that's a really radical number. Like, I believe it's 3%. With okay. undisturbed birth, I would say they're about 3%. I actually, I, I totally believe you, and I think it, it might even be less. <laughs> I think it's probably 3 just thinking about, because, okay, anyway, I think it's about 3 where not where something fatal could happen, but where a mum or a baby might need a little bit of uh, intervention. Can you name some of those moments? I can name two moments from um, from your birth story. One of them is baby is gasping a little bit. One of them is placenta is taking a long time to birth. And so what I mean by intervention is not necessarily intervention, but the knowledge that you can say, 
oh, this needs intervention or that doesn't need intervention. Mm -hmm. And if it does need intervention, the knowledge of where that most gentle le level is going up to the most extreme level and how to make those decisions. And I'll give you some more examples that are, that are more like, okay, bleeding. Yeah. Excessive bleeding is, is one of those moments where you actually do need to make some suggestions that can stop the bleeding Yeah. or make a physical intervention that can stop the bleeding. A baby that doesn't actually want to come down the other side as, as, as quickly as you want. Um, a baby that's, uh, that isn't, well, shoulder dystocia. We talked about that last time when we were talking. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there, there are a few. And then there are the crazy side swipe ones that, that are just out of this world craziness. And I would say, yes, that's about 0.0005% of, of births. And, and that's just, you know, whatever. We can't really figure out what to do about those, but. Um, so, so you're saying essentially, if a woman wants to choose birth outside of the medical model, uh, midwifery included, she has to contend with taking on that that three percent margin of risk. No, what I was saying that was even further than that was that that actually, um, what's happened is those those particular little. Um, little procedures that are made illegal to everyone that are used way too much are the actual procedures that can help someone um, have confidence that if it is one of those 3%, or let's say it's even 2%, I don't really want to quibble, but whatever percent it is, it's a percent. So if I'm there and I know that it's that tiny percent and I know how to deal with those tiny percents, but if I deal with one of those tiny percents, then I'm doing something something illegal. Yeah. Illegal enough that I can get my house taken away. Really? Well, the woman that got got arrested and, and convicted, like she ended up, I mean, last time I heard she owed $70,000. France Dufort you're talking about? Yeah. And I mean, that's a lot of money. Yeah. That's a lot of money. So, so we're in a situation where, and so then the question arises, yes, I can certainly attend your birth and I can, I can be there with you. But then the question for me arises like, like Rosemary, I know you um, gave birth at home with, with your mother present and and your man present and your and your first baby she was sleeping so mm -hmm. you were the family and everything was fine and and so why wouldn't i think there's a contradiction here why wouldn't you just do that like i love it when i hear someone messages me and they're like i'm gonna i'm gonna do a free birth and i'm like yeah great that's that's great good that's wonderful and then a few months later, she messaged me and like, I had my baby last month. Oh, that's, that's wonderful. That's great. Mm -hmm. But what I wonder is if someone messages me or calls me and says, well, I want to do a free birth, but I'd really like you there in case something goes wrong. Mm. But, but that's what midwifery, that's what midwives are for. We are actually there to be, to sit on our hands maybe in another room, maybe in a 
tent down the road, I don't know, but we are there to not be present and to be able to come in if a mom says, you know, I just went on the toilet and I feel like I'm bleeding a lot. And I'm like, oh, well, no, that isn't a lot. That just looks like a lot because it's going in the toilet water. Or I can say, yeah, well, you need to get on the bed and I'm going to give you this Chinese, these Chinese herbs. Or even, yeah, that is a real lot. And I think we might need to call emergency services. Like, whatever, you know, the level is, that's mm -hmm. what the woman's asking me when she calls me and she says, I want you to be there in case something goes wrong. And then the other side of that knife edge is, I just want you to be there as a fly on the wall. But what does a fly on the wall know, do if, if, if like, what's, what does that even mean to be a fly on the wall? Well, I have some thoughts on that. Um, I really do think that anyone attending a birth holds space on an energetic level. And let's say a woman's just birthing with her partner. She wants to have a, a birth outside the system and she wants her partner there. Having another person there who's seen birth, who's calm, is maybe a gift to the, the, the energy of the space. So yes. her husband hasn't seen birth. And, you know, if, if the woman who has seen birth is sitting there in the corner doing nothing, then he gets to be calm. Absolutely. So that, so that she can feel safe. Yeah. I really think it's, sure. yeah, I really feel like it's an energetic job. Of course it's an energetic job. Yeah. But I keep coming back to, you know, what I what I trained to do, to do as a midwife wasn't like I am going to keep coming back to this because I believe that we have been undermined by this system. What I was trained to do as a midwife. OK, granted, I was trained in the medical model and I don't do that stuff anymore. I don't do the fucking Rutgers maneuver to get the head out and I don't do the active management of the third stage and I don't do vaginal exam. I don't do a lot of the stuff that I was trained to do but I have received ancient knowledge of observing birth and when I'm sitting there calm I could be really 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 calm and I am and I could see something that might be starting to happen and so I can make a suggestion like you know let do you want to have some miso soup mm. or, um, you know, if maybe she's standing up and I can see baby's almost coming cause she's making those noises and, and I'm looking and I'm seeing that maybe I, I'm, I'm noticing that or had noticed before for whatever reason, um, I might want to just say, Oh, like I, I just remember one situation where a woman was laboring, standing up. Um, she had asked me to come and have a look what was happening because she's like, oh, what's going on? So I had a look and I noticed that her perineum was very white, which means that it could tear um, quite badly. And obviously you don't want your perineum to tear. So, um, so I said, oh, um, you know, you might want to lie down. 
So she did, and her, and her perineum remained intact because as soon as she lay down, a little bit of the pressure came off and the baby came out a little slower. Mm. Um, so, so, so my... My, 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 my knowledge of those skills and my desire to pass those skills on to people like you and other people around in Montreal who would want to learn them um, has been undermined by two things. One of them is that they're illegal for me to do. And the other thing is that they're tainted. Yeah. They're tainted by, by this like fear that I'm going to, or whoever knows like I know how to do a vaginal exam and I know that if I needed to do one, I would do one. I would probably need to do one in 0.5% of all births I've attended. But sometimes, you know, it's good to know, like if you, if you suddenly had to do one and you hadn't ever learned how, then it would be really hard. Like I can't repair a third degree tear because I've never repaired a third degree tear. Why would I? So it's that kind of thing. But but yeah, those 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 skills that I've learned—not the medical skills, but the midwifery skills that I've learned—have been have been degraded by the way that midwifery is practiced now, and it and it's sad. Can I ask? It's just like, sad. What what is the circumstance in which you think a vaginal exam is warranted? If a woman has been pushing for a while and she is strongly, strongly convinced that that baby's never going to come out. And she asks me as the, as the, as the, the attendant who knows more and has gentle hands. And she asks me, please, can you just like touch in there and tell me what's happening? Then I will do a vaginal exam. And what, what will you find? Anything in particular? She's been pushing for a long time and thinks baby's never coming? I'll usually find a head right there and like, you know, maybe a little bit of really tight vaginal muscles and, you know, not a lot. I certainly won't go in like, you know, four fingers deep. Okay, here's the thing. Let's start, let's start talking about vaginal exams. Vaginal exams are a sexual act, okay? So what she's saying is, oh, will you touch me a little bit? Because I can't touch myself right now. So I will touch the baby's head a little bit and the labia a little bit. I'm not going to stick my fingers all the way in. But my, like the few times that I've been asked to do that, baby's head just pops out. They just need a little bit of, I don't know, love maybe? That's why wow, these... I was not expecting that answer at okay. all. <laughs> well, there you go. That's not why I don't all. practice as a, as a registered midwife, I guess. Yeah. So that's why the vaginal exams in the hospital are so weird, because what we've done with birth is, is we've put a little jacket on it, right? And we've pretended that it isn't an animal act, but it is. Have you ever done a vaginal exam, not to yourself? No, absolutely not. No, thank you. I for actually, um, I actually am quite determined to never do that. Like that's that's, I'm never going to do that to okay. a woman, whether she begs me or not. Um, 
I'm not, I'm I mean, just that's not comfortable fine. with you, that. You might find when you're in your late fifties and you're really that motherly type that, <laughs> you know, someone might ask you to do that. When I was your age and I had little ones and I was still of a, of a reproductive age, I, I wasn't, I wasn't anywhere near doing that. And I also thought it was gross, but you know, we, we grow through our, through our ages and stages and we become people that we maybe didn't think we would. Hmm. Interesting. But the ones that, that happen over and over and over again at the hospital are a way to connect with a woman that is not a right way. Yeah. And it's that same thing. I'm just being more honest about it. Well, it's, it's really interesting to hear, to hear your honest answer. And I wonder um, if any of the doctors or midwives who are performing those kinds of things think the same thing and have never vocalized that or feel afraid to say something like that. Yeah, that's a, a, something I wonder. Um, so there's but, a big okay, part so of, of like attending a woman. As I'm listening to you speak, um, the thought I'm having is this approach really comes from a place of like being the one with the knowledge for the emergency situation which which i heard you say previously was was around the three percentile and so then the thought that i have is well why are we approaching birth from this place of the what if or like the worst case scenario and is there another way to do it and that's what I've sort of tried to play with in my own mind of, um, is there another way to go about this that, that has nothing to do with the complications and is just very is. real about that? And what of would that look like? Is. It looks like exactly like what you're talking about, which is traditional birth attendancy. It's because the only reason why I'm talking about that damn 3% is because that 3% is the reason why I can't practice. Hmm. That's why I'm so pissed off about it. Like I'm running a, I'm running a cafe. Like I know that food is your life, but it's not my life. Attending women in birth is my life. And I have been prevented from doing that because the, the because 3% of the things that I know are to do with those 3% of, of things that, that might happen in a million years. And those are the things that are illegal. And so if I'm even attending a birth, if I'm at a woman's house at three in the morning and attending a birth, then I know because of my training and because of, you know, whatever that I, that I'm liable. So, so that's, hmm. that's, that's why I'm talking about that. Okay. So you think that even if you're just sitting in a corner that if like the powers that be find out that you're sitting in a corner at a birth, you're liable for practicing midwifery. Absolutely. Because the, the, the hunt is on the hunt came on in 2017 and it's been on ever since, but not you, Rosemary, not if that's why I'm so happy that this community is rising in Montreal. Hmm. It's the people that have been trained to do those things that are, that are, that are liable and whatever. I mean, that's just the way it is. And, 
and I'll go somewhere else and practice. But but you who are not trained, there's no evidence that you know how to do any of that stuff. And you have no reason to do any of that stuff. Like, honestly, when I've been practicing, actually, realistically, the whole of my the whole of my practice has been, you know, very just beautiful and 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 these this three percent hasn't manifest in my practice until the pandemic hmm. yeah uh i want to talk a little bit about what i what i envision um for the way to work with women in pregnancy and birth and postpartum and to do it outside the system for women who are birthing outside the system. And I'm wondering if you can listen and reflect back to me where you see um, changes that might have to occur or, or things that, that are part of the gray zone of what regulated midwifery is. Uh, so I imagine, you know, a woman thinks to herself, okay, I don't want to birth in the system or I've risked out or whatever her reason is. And she, but she still wants to hang out with somebody and talk about how she felt, I don't know, the last month and say like, oh yeah, I'm like really hungry or I'm throwing up a lot and, and, and I don't actually do anything or say anything. And I just listen to her and I give her that space to check in with herself and to ask, like, to ask herself, how is she doing? How is she doing? You know, I loved when people did that for me when I was pregnant. They just called me and say, hey, how are you? And I got a chance to say, oh my God, I've thrown up every day. It's been the worst. And I cried and they listened and it was amazing. Um, so to offer that and to say, did you know you could listen to your own baby's heartbeat? Yeah, they have these things. They're called fetoscopes. And you can order one on this website and then you can like play around with your own belly and listen to it. And like, no, I don't know what the heart tones mean. I have no idea how to interpret them. If that's something you're looking for, that's like you see a midwife for that. You see a doctor for that. But if you're just interested in hearing inside your womb, this is a really fun thing that you can play with. And touch your belly. You can touch your belly. And you can guess at what you're feeling. And you can watch this video that's, that teaches you about what you might be feeling when you touch your belly. And to just provide resources. Or if the woman comes to me and says, um, oh, what could she possibly say? She could say, um, she could say, let's see, what, what could she say? Let me think about a bunch of, oh, 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 I woke up this morning and I had a little bit of blood on my, on my panties. Okay. So let's investigate that. What do you think that that is? You know, to like ask her questions that allow her to connect with her intuition to then say, um, is she? Does this bring up a fear for her? And what are her options in order to deal with that fear? And would she like to engage in the medical system? 
And if she does, what does that look like? What, what, what is waiting for her in the medical system? And to allow her the opportunity to investigate that and walk through that in her mind and then decide whatever she wants to decide. To not coerce her, to not tell her what I think about it, but to allow her a moment to look inward and to connect with her own intuition. And this, I really believe, is the beautiful gift of the mystery in pregnancy. Uh, the gift I want to give to women is to sit in the mystery of not knowing what that bleeding was. Okay, so why do women bleed? Well, some of them bleed because something might be wrong. Some of them bleed because they might be losing the pregnancy. Some of them bleed because the placenta is near the cervix. Oh, Whatever mostly, honestly, all the reasons it's, are. It's mostly completely benign. That's why, that's why I said that question because it's a really common one. Yeah. And it's so not not a thing like it's, it's but like usually... she gets to check in with her intuition to say exactly. like is she afraid of that bleeding yeah. does she want to investigate it further or is she okay with resting in the mystery and understanding that her baby is going to come out of her body at some point and that may happen tomorrow and that may happen at 38 weeks and that may happen at 44 weeks and that that's part of the mystery of pregnancy and to just allow her an opportunity to sit in that because nobody lets us sit in that. Nobody even says that that's okay. But I think it's amazing. So that's the prenatal stuff that I prenatal. I, it's not even the right word to just connect with a woman while she's undergoing this life transformation to give her a place to say, I feel like my friendships are changing. I'm, I'm grieving the loss of a couple of friends. And for me to say, yes, I think that's quite common. Um, you know, does any of that sound illegal so far? But, um, but the thing is, Rosemary, this sounds exactly like, you know, I had this really amazing experience with someone. Um, she gave birth last May. And she contacted me about two months into the pregnancy. And we met every week it was during kind of deep COVID. So, and plus she doesn't live in town. So we met uh, virtually every week, every single week on Sunday morning at eight. And you know what we talked about mostly? What? Poetry and the changing of the seasons. Um, of course her, you know, feelings about her pregnancy and everything that was going on with her life. And, and it was exactly what you're describing. Right. And I bet you that was absolutely lovely for her. It was perfect for her. Yeah. That's so nice that you did that. I love that. Yeah. And maybe you cook a meal together and maybe you go for a walk together and maybe you help her stock her freezer or maybe you help her decide what she wants her postpartum to look like. Or maybe you do like birth visioning meditation together and you lead her through a guided meditation where she gets to 
uh, think about her dream birth scenario and then write it down or make art around it. That, that's or... <laughs> exactly it's so funny because, yeah, she was doing a lot. Um, what else? And, the, and, but the like... interesting thing is that she did this whole picture of like a whole like birth scenario. And then, and then, because the thing is you can do an ideal birth scenario that uh, for 34 weeks or something. And then you realize by the time that your labor actually rolls around, that it actually wasn't that ideal birth scenario. So it's something that's so lovely because it's fluid. Mm-hmm. And you can do it over and over again and maybe yeah, get there's something nothing different that every you time. Have to, no one has to write anything down on a chart that says, you know, this is what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Or okay. asking her the question, what does it, what do you want in the seconds after you meet your baby? Like, do you want everyone to be silent? Do you want someone to hand you some coconut water and a banana? You know, to like ask her those questions. So then you, she can set it up the way that she wants it or to help her figure out what her needs or desires might be for her postpartum time. And maybe she wants someone to come and stay with her for 30 days and cook for her. Yeah. Or maybe she wants to just be with her partner for a little bit, or maybe she has questions about like, how do you have conversations with your pushy mother-in-law who wants to spend a lot of time in your space, but it's not going to make you feel comfortable or just like a place to, to name that, you know? So that's all just, like before having a baby and after having a baby, but it's just soul work, really. So is that like, is any of that sounding illegal? No, none of the things that you're talking about are going to be illegal. That's what I, that's what I'm saying. The only thing that would make anything illegal is if anything dipped into that 3%. And, you know, you don't know how to deal with those things anyway. So whatever, nothing, nothing that you would do as a birth attendant in Quebec is going to be illegal. Cool. So go for it. (laughs) That's great. I, um, yeah, I want to, I feel, I feel called to do that kind of work and I'm just starting to understand what it's really going to ask of me. Um, and how I really, I really could feel integrity and, and be in integrity doing the work. Um, but those are, those are my current musings on what it might look like. Of course, every woman is going to have different desires. But it doesn't look anything like my my visits with my midwives were. There's no checklist of tests no, that are but, offered but, or. But that's the sad thing. That's where I'm grieving because I, I think it's so sad that they've even taken the name. You know, you're not allowed to use the word midwife or sage femme. And that like, I could think up some fancy schmancy traditional birth attendant or TBA or whatever I want to call it, birth companion or whatever. And like, why, why should we have to have that taken from us too? It, it really, it's, 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 it's not a process that you're doing because you're going from the other end, but I was going from with the best of intentions, wanting to do midwifery Mm -hmm. and midwifery for me means exactly what you're talking about, except more because more knowledge. Yeah. Um, and that, and I've gotten that knowledge from the time I was um, uh, like probably around your age up until like at working as a doula, watching women and going to women's houses for years 
watching them labor and just sitting on my hands and being there and being that person in the corner of the room and and you know sometimes sending a little maybe a little spell down or or something but just you know I remember in the hospitals I would be working in the hospitals a lot and I would be sitting there in a chair and the woman would be laboring and the nurse would come in and like why aren't you doing your doula stuff and I'd be like I am I'm sitting in a chair <laughs> what was why she aren't you rubbing her back and helping her with her breathing I'm like she knows how to breathe what am I going to help her with yeah and I'm supposed to rub her back why so it and and forgive me if I found it sound annoyed but I just I feel like there's a there's a and and you will get there if you work as a if you work in this in this in this um if you live in this field for long enough in 20 years of practice you will get to the point where you will be seeing things that you that you will know oh this is a little tiny message from the baby you know the baby's saying something to me and i would like the skills to be able to react to that message that this baby's giving me you know, mm-hmm. and if you're not allowed to from the legal stuff and the this and that and whatever political stuff, then it then it can be it can be upsetting. Yeah, I listen. I love your rage with it. I love your passion. <laughs> it's it's right. It's righteous. It's truthful. Um, it's sacred. I'm into it. <laughs> what about the woman who wants both? You know, she's missing out here, too someone who wants the kind of thing that I want to offer, but maybe also wants to have her blood pressure checked or whatever else, right? Like she has nowhere to go to. Yes, exactly. She's missing out big time. Yeah. It's so unfortunate. It's so unfortunate. Who knew the regulation of midwifery was going to do something like this? Well, Rosemary, as an anarchist, I will say the word regulation is one of those words we kind of don't like. So, you know, it was bound to go somewhere like that. Put the regulation of midwifery and mix it in a little pot with liberal feminism and um, and politicians, and there you have it. Yeah. Um, listen, Rivka, I have to wrap up. My babies, yes, I do my babies need me. Um, oh, anything my else babies, you wanna... My babies don't need me so much anymore, <laughs> but go be with your babies. No, I think we should continue this um, this discussion, maybe publicly, maybe privately, but... Um, yeah, any kind of support you want, I am totally here for you. Amazing. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you. Thank you, Rosemary.